And I'm going to use a technique, and a lot of the business schools talk about this now. It's called feed forward, right? Which is from this moment on, how should we behave? And so we look at two things. What do I need to keep doing, right? That's actually really helping me. And what do I need to start doing, right, from today? That simple change in the language can help to look at things in a future-oriented kind of way. Have you ever wondered whether there's actually a sustainable way to balance a healthy and meaningful life with your busy schedule? Well, you're in luck, Balancer, because I did too. And the Balancery podcast is now a dedicated space to be curious in finding a balance that just works. Because since we're being honest here, balance isn't a one-size-fits-all. I'm your host, Erica, and let's dive into today's episode. All right, Balancers, today's guest grew up curious about success. His fascination was less about how he could attain it and more about decoding it. How did some people go on to achieve greatness? As a young psychology graduate, he found the answer. It was mindset. He now works as a peak performance coach and helps people define their own version of success and also help them get there. All things I'm really excited to unpack today. So it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Gaj Ravichandra to the Balance Theory podcast. Gaj, a warm welcome. Thank you so much, Erica. Looking forward to where our conversation is going to take us today. Absolutely. It's, it's been really nice already to connect a bit offline. So I'm really looking forward to chatting into a little bit more about your work and your ideas generally. I just want to start off in an interesting kind of place. Um, I always like knowing about, I guess, misconceptions or blocks in the type of work that people do. Because I think there's a lot of predetermined things we assume when it comes to success or mindset. And I think just maybe unpacking that as a starting place is probably a good point. So my question to you is, in your 20 years plus of coaching, what have been the most common mindset blocks you've experienced or seen or witnessed when it comes to success? Yeah, that's such a, a big question, right? I think th- there's a few things that come to mind. I think the first one is around this idea that career is linear, right? And so, mm. you know, when we look at the world around us, it is very non-linear, right? There's so many things happening that are creating chaos and, and, and so forth around us. And the idea that we apply that principle of being linear in our careers when we live in a non-linear world it doesn't seem to resonate or make sense anymore. Right. And so I've got a lot of people who come to me who are really frustrated, right, about the idea that, hey, I've been doing X, Y, Z. I haven't been promoted in five years. I don't know what's happening. And it's typically because we're using that lens, right, of, of being linear in our approach. And so moving away from that means that you get to look at the world in a slightly more liberated way, right? And so that requires you to have some structure, someone to talk to, perhaps mentors, other people. Um, And so that can be really exciting. And so assuming careers are non-linear means that we get to then look at a whole bunch of different options, right, when we we think about our careers. Um, And so I think that is one of the big ones that I come across, and and particularly as we move into this fractional employment world, right, where everyone's got little side hustles that are becoming more Mm. serious. Um, And so not only are we getting enjoyment from our side hustles, we're also now expecting perhaps some sort of commercial return right from that as well and so i think how do you commercialize right your side hustles uh, is also important yeah that's really interesting i've never actually thought about that pretext that we look at our career in such a linear way in terms of even just the trajectory and 
I think there's a side of that where a lot of people will have linear careers in terms of they let's I'm going to use a law firm as an example because I'm a lawyer and that's the space I'm familiar mm. with. You, you go in as a junior associate, senior associate partner. To me, that's quite a linear uh, progression. So do you, would you say then for a lot of people that this perception may be a block for are for those people where that trajectory maybe isn't aligned for them and potentially that that block or that um, maybe let's call it resistance in terms of that it's something I felt, right? Like I never looked at a partner I've worked for and said, oh, I, I really want your life. And not that's not any shade on, on their yeah. lifestyle. It's just more in terms of what they do as work how they conduct their um, their day-to-day and just more in terms of what they're doing. That was never something I wanted to achieve. And, and so birth was this podcast and other little things I've done along the way, which is really interesting. But I guess the question is, how does someone listening right now know if that's a block for them? Maybe because I think it's hard to detach right from, I thought this was what I wanted and I'm having this like weird realisation that now it, it's not and I have to think, oh, what else could there possibly be because I haven't, opened up my mind to this non-linear potential. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And, and you've hit upon something really important, which is this idea of um, even though there is a linear path, it may not be the path that you need to take. And so, you know, when we look at management consulting firms or legal firms, there is a linear path, right? But the, the path is something that maybe doesn't align to these core elements of your, your values and your motivators because that changes a little bit over time, mm-hmm. right? And so... What you thought at age 20 when you were studying law to when you were 30 or 35 or 40 um, might be a little bit different. And so therefore, that misalignment, you know, can take place. And so it's very natural to feel that. So I would say understanding what your values and motivators are is really important to determining whether that particular path is going to, to feed your soul, right, to make you feel content. The second part is this really interesting concept called your motivated skills, um, I don't know if you've come across that term before. No, I haven't. Please, please share it's, more. It's an interesting one. Um, it, it came about from this idea that, you know, we want to do things that not only are we good at, but also that we're interested in. And so when you find the intersection between those two things, that's when magic happens, right? So it's not an accident that you are running this podcast and also a lawyer, right? There's elements of what you do in this podcast that are, perhaps transferable into your work as a lawyer. For sure, Um, yeah. But there are things you're obviously getting from this podcast that are different and unique, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's finding that intersection. And so it's a great way of being able to determine um, your fulfillment from that perspective is you're more likely to be happier as an Mm -hmm. outcome if um, on the journey you're kind of doing things that you enjoy and you're good at, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting because when I kind of zoom out and when I explain it to people, they ask me what I do. Um, It's almost like I have my career as a lawyer, whether I want to do that long term or not is is disputable at this point in time. But this, as you said, this podcast kind of for me fills needs or allows me to exercise skills that I don't get to do in my job. And I always Mm. had this perception that it's very hard to find a job that kind of ticks all your boxes. And so when you have all these different outlets, it kind of helps you buffer all the different parts of your personality out in a way. One thing I want to ask you on, which is maybe a place a lot of listeners are coming from, maybe they're resonating with this right now, that is 
their job is a financial why. It's a financial fulfillment. And other things they're interested in potentially are not yet or maybe not as great of a financial benefit as this particular job is, even if it's not really the thing that feeds their soul. I'm going to use the words you used before. Do you coach a lot of people that maintain the two, i.e. they have a job that's purely financial fulfillment and then they have their side passions? Um, And I only ask because I almost feel like I'm in this juncture at the moment and I do find it hard to just work in a job for the financial means, even if it is short term, I, I still intuitively deep down almost can't disconnect from that, but this isn't what I want to do forever feeling. So I'm just curious, mm-hmm. do you have clients that struggle with that and what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's very common. And I think one of the challenges is that, you know, we've come typically from a, a traditional approach, right, at looking at our careers. And so when we start to change that approach, something happens in our psychology, right? We start destabilizing the way that we are looking at the world. Now, none of us like to feel destabilized, right? And I think it's one of those things, you know, as humans, we run away, right, from from things that make us feel unstable. And so as long as we've got elements in our life that provide the stability. So you might find, for example, if you want to move from a nine to five career into slightly a more entrepreneurial, you know, sort of venture, having some stability from, say, your partner or from other um, income streams or other areas can be really helpful, right? Because that then compensates for the destabilizing, right, that you're going through, you know, in that change. Yes. So there's a bit of a there's a bit of a plan you got to put in place, right, to be able to do that. And once you do that. Um, it helps to reduce the volatility that you feel and you can then focus on the things that are actually important about, you know, how do I, you know, create the opportunity for me to um, commercialize, right, the, the idea that I have? How do I surround myself with the right people? Um, and I sort of talk about this in, in so there are four kinds of intelligence, right, that I think are really helpful here. IQ, which we all know about, right, that analytical ability, solving problems, doing all those things. So what are the problems, right, that you want to solve? Two is your emotional intelligence, right? I think most of us know what that is and how you manage your emotions and the emotions of other people. Then there's SQ, which is social intelligence, right? Who do you belong to? Who are the the groups of people that are your peeps, right? Are the people that actually are important to you, that you learn from, that you also provide, you know, information and knowledge to? And the last one, which I call CQ, which is commercial intelligence, right? Can you take a a product or a service that you have and actually put a value to it that is meaningful to a customer? That Someone will actually choose to buy something, right, that you actually created or put together. And when you put those four things together, that's when you truly get some wonderful success and fulfillment, right? So the people who struggle, there's usually one of those missing, Mm-hmm. And so you can find them in partners. You can find them in other people that can help you. Um, but it's quite common. Going back to your question, Erica, uh, it, it's more common when we start to narrow down which of those four is kind of lagging behind, if you like, um, that needs to be right. developed. And so then is it a case of that maybe like your side thing fills one of those areas that maybe you can't actually express in your nine to five? Is that kind of how we look at it? Yeah, you might find that. And, and you know, to get your side thing happening, you might find other things that need to happen, um, you know, to help boost that, right? Um, mm. So that could really be interesting. that's why people become partners of companies, right, uh, to help them. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's really interesting. Um, I want to ask you about something I saw you posted on LinkedIn, which I found quite interesting. You were talking about the difference between difficulty and complexity and just really segregating the two. Um, and I thought it was interesting in terms of how we approach productivity. So would you mind just sharing kind of your thoughts on the difference between the two? Yeah, there's there's a lot of talk at the moment, right, around this with everyone facing so many challenges in the world, you know, having so much uncertainty. And sometimes we, I find that a lot of my coaches and business leaders confuse uh, the two concepts, right, of complexity and difficulty. So difficulty is about doing something hard or easy, right? So it means that it's once you learn how to do it, it moves from being hard to easy, right? But sometimes the the, the difficulty part is the repetition of having to do things. So it's a bit like um, you know, learning your times tables, right? I don't know if you remember back in uh, when you're learning it at school, you just had to drill it into your head, right, to kind mm-hmm. of learn that, you know, what it was. It was hard initially, but now if I ask you, you know, six times five, you're probably going to know the answer very quickly, right? And so 30 just kind of appears in your head. But it wasn't complex, right? Complex means that it's difficult to predict. Six times five is always 30, right? And so complex means- No variables. Absolutely, absolutely. It's the elements that create, um, you know, that sort of variation in the outcomes that you can expect. So whether it's your, you know, pricing strategy, whether it's your uh, economic environment you're in, whether it's the kind of customers you have to deal with, Um, you know, the kind of leaders that you have in the business. I mean, there's so many factors, right, that create that complexity. And so these two very different things, I mean, we really saw this during COVID, right, when, you know, I heard a lot of people telling me that they were really struggling, right, with, with life and what was happening. And that is actually the combination of something that is difficult and something that is complex, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uncertainty about where the future is going. When are we getting out of our lockdowns? You know, what's going to happen with these vaccinations and so forth? Um, What is the world of work going to look like? Are we working from home forever? Are we not doing that? There's also the churn of having to just turn up every day, turn on our screen, work from, you know, eight in the morning till nine o'clock at night. That was really difficult, right? And so the combination um, made us feel like we were struggling, when it's just difficult, you need energy, right? I mean, all of us do stuff in our work that just requires a heck of a lot of energy, right, to get it done. So it's hard because of that energy that's required. And if you don't know what's actually, you know, sort of replenishing your energy, I call it an energy ATM, right? If you're withdrawing all day from your energy ATM, you're going to go bankrupt, right, at the end of the day. You need to put deposits in, right, during the day. So what are those deposits? What are the things that are actually allowing you to to create that energy for yourself? Mm -hmm. So that was that kind of element of complexity and and difficulty there. Yeah, no, I love that. So if we want to maximize our productivity, right, and we've got a combination of both difficult and complex tasks, noting what you've kind of just said, so the difficult tasks require a lot of energy, how would you structure your day to be most productive then because obviously the complex stuff is more uncertain i assume it would also require energy but a different type so just curious how would you structure your day to maximize productivity knowing you've got the two yeah um so there's a few things so i'll give you an example for myself right um i'm an introvert 
right? So I'm very much um, focus comes from within. Uh, the energy comes from within. And so for me, um, a lot of my uh, interactions with people, I try and do at the beginning of the day, right? Because I know that I'm going to have more energy then to give you. So mm -hmm. I try not to do my podcasts towards the end of the day where I know I'm going to be depleted, right, of energy. So for maximum productivity, I work out where my energy levels are and what are the things that are going to feed that energy versus take away energy. Now, I get sure. energy also from the conversation, right, that you and I have, but it's also me sitting in front of a screen, right, which is not something that energizes me so much. Um, so finding those things and finding that balance is really important to do that. It's mm -hmm. also thinking through um, this idea of what we call job enrichment, right? And this is the idea that there are things in our jobs that enrich our lives and things that they suck, right? They just We just don't want to do them. And so how do we minimize and control, right, the elements of those components? Are there things we can delegate? Are there things that we can do, you know, differently? Can we automate certain things so we don't have to focus on things we don't enjoy? And how do I embellish or increase, right, the things that actually I enjoy and that enrich my life? Sometimes even just starting to write a list of those things can be really helpful, right, um, to start breaking that down. So that, yeah. that helps sometimes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. No, I love that. I've definitely um, spoken in the past on the podcast about having an awareness in terms of where your energy is. Cause I know for some people they get this boost in the afternoon and there they work. That's my fiance. He loves being up late through all hours of the night, but it's for me, it's like after 5 PM, I cannot function in front of a screen. Like it just, mm. I get, I deteriorate as the day goes on. So I'm quite similar. I have a rule. I try and put all my meetings before midday because I, if me, for me, if I know I've got a meeting at the end of the day, it almost just like weighs on me all day long mm. because, mm. again, it takes a lot of energy and I'm more energized mm. in the morning. So um, that's a good way to look at it as well. And I think when you stack that on top of if we just go back to like the difficult and complex, I think if you use that as a lens to look at your tasks and then work out what energy is required for those tasks, it might also be another way to kind of break down your time as opposed to just yeah. looking at when do I have the most energy as well. So I think that's um, very yeah. useful and interesting as well. There's a there's an interesting thing around that, uh, the tasks that you have, and this I think it's one of the misconceptions as well, right, which is the idea of multitasking, and that, that simply doesn't exist. Fallacy. So we all know <laughs> what it's like, right? You're task switching between things. So... I think in terms of high productivity, you know, trying to really work out how do I get opportunities to focus on one task at a time, right? Do I need to lock myself away in a meeting room or do this from home, whatever it might be? Because on average, I mean, I think the research is really clear on this, right? It takes like eight to 12 minutes to get back into some of these tasks um, that we mm, switch Once the on. focus is broken, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're losing a heck of a lot of time, right, on that. Mm. Yeah, that's why I also love, um, admittedly, I've been slack, and this is probably a good reminder to me, anyone else who's been slack with it too, uh, time blocking is really good for that, where you basically just block out windows um, of your day pursuant to what tasks you've got on. I find that quite useful mm -hmm. too. I think that there's a lot of really good points in there for people to pull out and potentially look or consider how they're structuring their day, maybe ways they can just 
make it more easeful, right? Like it, the, the idea is you're not going to have less work, but it's how do you approach it in a way that just makes it a more easeful, enjoyable experience at the end of the day yeah. where you can. Something else I also saw you post on LinkedIn. I sound like a crazy LinkedIn stalker now, but I was just having a look through your posts. Yeah. Um, you were talking about the Jahari window um, and how it can help us increase self-awareness. And this really piqued my interest. And I would love for you to share it with the listeners because I've not had anyone talk about it on the show before. And it was like mm. also the first time I've come across it. Mm. Um, my general belief is that self-awareness is a superhero power. Right. And I think, you know, the individuals that demonstrate that self-awareness tend to have higher levels of success. And so it's, it's very much a two by two matrix. Right. And the idea is that it looks at um, things that you know about yourself and what other people know about you and what you don't know about yourself and what other people don't know about you. Right. So if you imagine a box, you know, divided into four equal squares on the top left hand side, you might have an open area, which is the things you know about yourself in terms of your performance, your personality and so forth. But other people also know that about you. Right. So these are the open areas and you want to keep expanding those. Right. Because they're usually strengths and things that other people are aware of. And then we might find that there's a box which um, are things that you know about yourself, but others don't know about you. It could be like a, a skill in negotiation, right, um, for example. And so you might be in marketing or in a technical role and you want to move into something like procurement or into sales, right? But no one knows that you're actually a good negotiator, right? So therefore, you need to expose yourself. You need to gradually reveal, right, that this skill is there. And so there's all these different techniques to do that so that it's no longer a hidden area. It's actually something that becomes uncovered right um, for you then we might have an unknown area things you don't know about yourself right and things that other people don't know about you um, and that's very much putting yourself into different situations right so that you can uncover these things that you know perhaps um, even you didn't know um, about yourself is and that like far- out of your comfort zone that last box yeah potentially absolutely um, and that's a, a wonderful way of sort of stretching you know your comfort zone right sometimes we think I've got to jump out of my comfort zone and that scares the crap out of people, right? So as you, if you imagine, you're just slowly stretching that, um, you know, comfort zone, you know, you're expanding and growing, you know, that's, that can be a, a helpful mindset, right, to have. Um, and the final one, which is we see a lot in the corporate world, these sort of blind spots, right, which are things you don't know about yourself, but maybe things that other people observe in you. So, for example, you know, Gudge, I noticed that you go into meetings and you, you start the meetings, you talk, you talk all the way through the meetings and you end the meetings. You don't give anybody any time, you know, to contribute, right, to the discussion. Um, I might genuinely not even realize that's happening, right? So to know what those things are, we need to actually firstly create a culture around us of people who feel safe to be able to give us that information, right? And we also need to proactively ask for it. And a lot of high performers, what tends to happen is that because we're rapidly going through our careers and all this positive information is coming back, right? You're getting more responsibility, you're going up higher in the organization, you're getting pay increases, you're getting larger teams, larger geographies. What's coming back to you is positive feedback. We're not necessarily looking for the elements that could be accelerators for us right? And so we need to ask what they are. And we also need to create a culture around us uh, where people do feel comfortable to do that. 
Yeah, I think this is a really hidden but very powerful opportunity. But mm. I will say, um, and I think for a lot of high performers, they can probably resonate. I, I mean, I consider myself in that category too. I think that getting that constructive criticism sometimes we can take it quite personally, especially when you're used to this momentum of getting a lot of positive feedback and growth. And then you're hit with almost like what feels like an attack sometimes, even if mm. it's just constructive criticism. And and I will openly say that's probably because we haven't fostered or created an environment where it feels safe both ways to give and mm. receive that, right? And I think if we even zoom out, not just in a work uh, co corporate kind of setting to be able to do this in your relationships um, I think also holds a lot of power and it's something mm. I'm quite um, proactive with in in a, in a personal relationship setting to have that feedback loop to ask for questions um, even even with friends but I have to say at the beginning it was um, a little bit jarring getting the feedback when mm. you're not used to it right so how mm. do you kind of what advice would you give to help digest or receive constructive criticism? I mean, assuming it's coming from a, a, a place of love and someone just caring genuinely about you and wanting to only further your growth, because sometimes mm -hmm. like the delivery obviously has a lot of weight in it as well. <laughs> but generally yeah. speaking, if we just take the emotion out, what are some ways we can actually um, use that as an opportunity without falling into like, being personally mm. attacked, like that victim feeling. I think a lot of that does come down to our mindset, Erica, right? And I think the idea that what you choose to use in your mindset going into those discussions is massively helpful, right? So I know we talk about this thing that feedback is a gift, right? And it can be a gift. It can be also a horrific, um, you know, kind of experience as well, right? You might get a gift you don't want, right? what you choose to go in with that sort of growth mindset. And one of the techniques I've used um, is these three simple words, right? Which is tell me more, right? And so when you ask, when someone gives you that feedback and you go in with this idea of tell me more, tell me more about how did that make you feel when I did this? Or what do you feel that I should be doing, you know, to kind of help change this? Or are there other people that you feel I could look at that might be actually quite interesting, you know, around this behavior or, or idea or concept? And so by asking people to tell me more, you're actually digging a bit deeper. Now, what uncovers through that process is that sometimes it will unravel someone who is doing it, who has nefarious intent, right? So if they're doing it because they just want to get back at you at something, by asking them, tell me more, you can start to unravel that because it's usually very superficial, right? They haven't really thought it through. But for those who are coming from a genuine place, they have thought it through, right? They're trying to help you. They're trying to help you grow. And so that opportunity to ask and come from curiosity is immensely helpful. And so that's the mindset that I use. I come from that curiosity mm. perspective. You know, sometimes I'll get feedback from, you know, client organizations where, you know, we could have... Uh, we, we had so much content, it was way too much content for the workshop for the day, right? And so though I might personally have been attached to that workshop because I, you know, I built it from scratch and I put all this energy into it and all this stuff, well, actually the outcome needs to be beneficial, right? And it helps me to create something that's even more valuable. Tell me more, right? How can I do that in a way that's actually going to be constructive, 
Yeah, I think that's powerful coming from a place of curiosity. Um, do you think this would also help you identify a scenario, and not to say this is every time, but I, I think sometimes this could be the case, where someone's maybe projecting onto you as well rather than actually trying to help you? So maybe not nefarious, maybe it's not that um, they're being genuine, maybe they're just projecting something that's that's triggering for them. I think Maybe this is more applicable in personal relationships, but I guess you do have those in the work setting anyway. Any mm. thoughts on that and whether that's also useful in that context? And just, I guess, like to help us work that out as well. Because sometimes you can internalize something, but maybe it, it never had anything to do with you in the first place. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? It, absolutely. Um, as humans, we are human projectile missiles, right? That's what we do. We, we literally project ourselves, whether we like it or not. Um, there's a lot of a lot of us that comes out into the conversations and so forth. Self awareness is important, right? On that, when we are providing that that feedback, um, the way that might help, right, to structure that is to look at feedback in a slightly different way. The way that um, feedback is traditionally very personalized is when we look at the past. Um, when we go into our past, it's a very personal experience. If we look at it from a slightly different perspective, right? So if I say I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And I'm going to use a technique, and a lot of the business schools talk about this now. It's called feed forward, right? Which is from this moment on, how should we behave? And so we look at two things. What do I need to keep doing, right? That's actually really helping me. And what do I need to start doing, right, from today? That simple change in the language can help to look at things in a future-oriented kind of way, right? Mm. And so even if you're receiving the feedback, you could say, look, why don't we do it in this framework, right? And so that might help the person. It forces them to think about the future and how your behavior is going to be impacted in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's um, a powerful shift as well to not get caught up on what happened, what should have happened, what could have happened, because it's very mm. easy to spiral into the past. And yeah. I think that only helps that feedback be beneficial for your growth and, and future moving forward. Um, so, yeah, that, that's definitely beneficial, I think, on both sides as well, to help people unpack it on both sides, the giver and the receiver. Just before we go, what would you say is the most powerful skill or tool anyone should have to be a high performer? Mental toughness. So the idea, uh, and I see a lot of high performers um, who fake it, right? They fake their confidence um, to get to a certain point and it becomes really difficult to keep faking things, right? And so this idea of having to build your confidence uh, authentically, right? And to, and, to, and to believe in yourself, right, is really important. Um, being able to commit to things, right, and to be able to have a plan, right, is really important. Being able to overcome challenges by taking risks and learning from your past is really important. And believing that you are the driver of your destiny, right, uh, and that you can control your emotions uh, are all elements of this mental toughness uh, component. And I think if you get on top of mental toughness, the research is very clear over the last 25 years, right? It is three and a half times more effective in your performance than intelligence, Wow. Right. So the research is there. And I think when, when we talk about it, people completely agree. I've never had anyone come up to me and say, I don't agree that those elements are important in your life, personal life, professional life, whatever it might be. Right. Mm. Um, 
And so I would say that is probably the number one thing right now, considering that we also live in this super complex world. I mean, at the time of recording this podcast, there are kind of two wars going on. There are, um, you know, there's recessions probably looming. There's all sorts of things going on, right? There's a lot of instability. A lot of people are feeling numb about things. And so you've got to be tough, right, to deal with this and to be productive in a way that helps yourself, your family, uh, and the organization that you work with. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I'd add anything to that. Um, that's um, very powerful interpersonal skills to develop. And I think sometimes when we're talking about things in a work or corporate or just career context, it's always, uh, you know, bet above and beyond beneficial for you in your personal life as well, which I quite like because you're kind of killing two birds with one stone and any work you do for yourself on the self-development, self-awareness front is only going to benefit you on all sides of your life. So I've really enjoyed this chat. I've really appreciated you downloading your wisdom um, and just getting to know a little bit about you and your work as well. So I appreciate you coming on the show. For the listeners who want to connect with you, maybe have a chat following this podcast, um, just follow along your journey generally. Where's the best place they can go? And I'll pop some links in the show notes. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, feel free to stalk me on LinkedIn. No issue uh, with that whatsoever. <laughs> you have a good time. Uh, a lot of good content. <laughs> Um, I am on Insta, but um, I think LinkedIn tends to have most of the content on there, um, which I think is helpful. Absolutely. Well, if if anyone's unsure, I I have the link to that. So I will put that in the show notes. Uh, Thank you again so much from your time. And I look forward to continuing to learn from you. Yeah, thank you. And vice versa. Thanks so much, Erica. I love what you do.